Welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Amatia Baram, an MEF Writing Fellow and Professor Emeritus at the University of Haifa, join us to discuss, can Iraqis expel their Iranian occupiers? Dr. Baram will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Amatia Baram. Thank you, Stacey. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, it's evening here in Israel, actually. Um, I'd like to speak uh, for the brief 15 minutes I'm given, A, on uh, achievements of the new Prime Minister, uh, Mustafa Al-Kadhimi, B, about his failures, and C, to suggest some policy lines. Uh, I'll start with brief, very brief sort of bird's eye view. The, the greatest achievement in Iraq in the last, well, 14 months or so is, I know it's controversial in America, but not here, at least not in my case, is the assassination of General Soleimani. Had he still been alive, the, there would be no neutral, maybe pro-American, maybe not pro-American, but certainly not anti-American. Uh, and certainly not staunchly pro-Iranian prime minister like Mustafa al-Kadhimi, but we would be having another one, somebody like Nouri al-Maliki or Abdel Mahdi, who were very, very pro-Iranian and I'd say quite anti-American. So we have a balanced uh, prime minister. Uh, that's the greatest achievement. Uh, another achievement of this, I mean, another uh, derivative of, of that achievement is the fact that the militias, the pro-Iranian militias in Iraq, a very powerful force, uh, are less coordinated, not less active, but less coordinated. And uh, maybe this is an opening to do something, maybe not, but at least, uh, uh, their activities are, are simply less effective. It's not that they're not trying, but they're less effective. And with uh, General Qasem Soleimani still alive and acting and kicking, uh, this would not have been the case. So, okay, that's number one. Uh, how about uh, uh, the new prime minister's uh, achievements. Uh, as uh, you probably know, he, he became prime minister, was approved by parliament after a few attempts to, uh, to elect prime ministers, all of them failed. That one succeeded with great help from two people. Uh, one is uh, president, uh, the, the president of, of Iraq, uh, who uh, is a very moderate and also very highly experienced uh, politician, Kurdish politician. Traditionally, a Kurd is the president. He is a titular president. He doesn't have powers, doesn't have divisions, but, but, uh, but he is very uh, experienced. And he identified 
Kazemi as the, the best guy you could get. Uh, and he, uh, he, it was his, his support, great support. Uh, Barham Saleh, the president. Then, of course, you have behind the scenes, but it was not so much behind the scenes. It was perceived, it was seen by everybody in Iraq who was interested. Uh, Grand Ayatollah or Ayatollah Uzma, uh, Ali Assistani, uh, who is by far the most highly admired and followed a Shi'i cleric in the Shi'i world, in the world, including in Iran. Except that you have his followed and he's, he's admired as a spiritual guide and not necessarily as a commander of armies, which he's definitely not. So because Iranian uh, Grand Ayatollah Khomeini has divisions in, in addition to his being Ayatollah, uh, you cannot really declare your support for Sistani uh, in Tehran or in Mashhad or in Iran anyway. Uh, but many Iranians, as far as I know, it's very uh, impression. I'm, I'm doing it, this is an impression, very much so. But I think that he's far more popular in Iran than the supreme leader, Ayatollah Khomeini. In any case, he supported him too, still does, still does. Both people still do. With their support, the essentially pro-Iranian parliament, which was elected in the last elections, uh, somehow got itself to, uh, to approve him as prime minister, to approve, uh, I mean, uh, Mustafa al-Kazimi as prime minister. His, uh, his achievements, I have to make it very clear, are modest. First of all, it's just less than a year. Uh, could he do more? I don't know. But it's modest. But within, the, within these limits, uh, some achievements are there. I would say maybe number one, he has the support of, I, I, I counted about, 10 achievements. I put it as number nine. This is really number one. The army, the Iraqi army is behind him, by and large. Um, almost all, I would say all, the generals are behind him. Uh, the middle, middle level uh, uh, military, military ranks, uh, it's a bit more mixed, but yes, mostly he's been supported. Uh, now, number one politically is new elections. He promised it as soon as he became prime minister. And in October, we'll have, Iraq will have a new uh, election campaign. Two, a new electoral law, which he promised as well, which is not perfect, far from it. But it's a better one than the other, when the previous one, because it allows more independence to come to the fore, it limits in certain ways, uh, intimidation, not enough. Intida intimidation, buying off voters, uh, various pressures. It limits it, far from eliminating it. But at least that is a better law. Uh, three, anti-corruption campaign. Again, so far 
not many, I, I, I think five or six, maybe only five, a senior officials and one cabinet minister uh, uh, were tried and, and uh, actually sentenced to two to five or even six years prison. And uh, a couple of senior officials, one cabinet minister, one official, uh, are now charged with corruption uh, and, and will go to trial and are not allowed to leave Iraq. That's that's okay, and there is a special court, a anti-corruption court, so that's okay. It's very far from being what you really need because corruption is really endemic and it goes all the way to the very top, not including, of course, the president or prime minister or his ministers because his government is very uh, is very good. It's a good government. Professionals, not politicians, most of them, some of them are mostly though. And, and uh, people who are known for their integrity. So on that one, he was successful, but to uproot corruption uh, at the highest level, he hasn't done it yet. So we shall see, but he, 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 he began the march, which is important in itself. Uh, then a very, very partial success. He now, con his people, his military, not militia, his military, and police, state police, are now controlling more border uh, crossing points, uh, checkpoints than ever before since 2003. Saddam controlled them all, but no, but since 2003, not at all. And now more, but it's less, less than half, far less than half. So than half. Some of them are on the Iranian border, some of them on the Syrian border, but there is a lot of work to be done. I mean, perhaps one third or 20 or 25% of those crossing points are now, are now controlled by the state military, which is not very much. Uh, in, on the Syrian border, they started from the north where it's easier because the Americans are there and the Kurds are there and you can work with them. And so there they have the control of the border crossing points, but that's not very much. They need to go all the way south and all the Iranian border because they have to stop the Iranian smuggling of forces, of military equipment, of a, a lot of, of, of commercial products. The Americans, the Iranians, are come back to it, are actually dumping their products on the Iraqi market and this way they are freezing the Iraqi local production no no very little or no taxes at all so a big problem so they did a bit about that it's not bad but it's far from being enough uh, then you have number five i'd say they had a budget a draft draft a reasonable draft budget for 2021 it's not final it's not bad but but it could have been better. But the, the problem is not the budget. The problem is what do you do with the budget? Uh, number six is, again, it's, it's a modest uh, development, very modest, but maybe it's promising. A white, a, a white paper, a white paper uh, that, that is trying to, to uh, suggest, and is suggesting good, in a good way, uh, very, very professionally, how to resuscitate the economy. The economy is practically frozen. Uh, I'll come back to it. Uh, so that's 
it, it's just a, a declaration of intent. It's no more than that. But even that is important in itself. And uh, Kazemi ordered it immediately after he became prime minister. And uh, it came out last October. So they worked on it. Uh, number seven, again, very moderate in three Shi'i southern counties or actually uh, provinces, provinces. It's a very, very limited development of local electricity uh, production, very limited, far from being what is needed. Uh, number eight is, well, important, far less violence against uh, uh, protesters. The protesters brought uh, Kazemi to power, uh, Two prime ministers were kicked out of power, and two uh, two of his predecessors were were unsuccessful in parliament. Eventually, he was he was approved by parliament, thanks to the demonstrations, mass demonstrations against the government and against Iran, against corruption in the at the top and even in the local administration and against Iran. It succeeded in the sense that they have now, the demonstrators have now a sympathetic prime minister. What does it mean? We still don't know. And so, but we do know one thing, far less violence against them. Uh, I said the military is supporting by and large. Uh, and the number 10, Daesh, ISIS. Well, some very, very limited successes against ISIS. But as long as you don't prove, you don't support, uh, as long as you don't deal seriously with the um, Sunni Iraqi community, if you don't allow them or help them, not allow, they're allowed, most part. But if you don't help them come back home, many of them are refugees inside Iraq, come back, rebuild and resuscitate, resuscitate, resuscitate their economy in the Sunni area, uh, you will have done little. The exception here is Mosul. The city of Mosul is being, uh, is being uh, sort of is, is developing, is, is rebuilding, is rebuilding, uh, largely due to a sympathetic approach from Baghdad, yes, of course, which is very important except it's only Mosul, and a very, a very capable governor, uh, who it, uh, in fact is, a, is a, a Sunni general from Saddam's days, but by then he was just commander of the ground to air defenses. He's, he's, a, he's a very impressive man. So uh, in Mosul, they admire him, they like him, he's helping and he's getting Baghdad support. So you have all these achievements They are limited, very limited, Maybe they are a beginning. Failures. Well, the whole issue of domestic security, domestic safety even, uh, uh, certainly controlling the militias. He declared he would do it, but he failed. He did manage to arrest a few militiamen accused of, uh, of uh, rocketing of attacking American soldiers inside Iraqi military bases, guests, the Americans and NATO. 
so he did manage to arrest a few. Some of them went free. Some of them were sent to the militias to try them. And of course, we know what happened. I think a few of them are still in jail, but, but that's not a success. That's really a total, I would say, near total failure, maybe total failure, very close to it. Another failure is energy, electricity, and gas. Uh, the white paper is telling everybody who is ready to, ready to listen that without uh, becoming much more independent, independent of Iran when it comes to energy, both uh, electricity and um, gas. I'll just tell you that 30% of the gas Iraq, gas Iraq is using for electricity mostly and 42% of Iraqi electric power used in Iraq are coming across from across the border from, Teher from Iran. And this is making Iraq very vulnerable. Uh, the Iranians can and did uh, shut down Iraqi electricity. Uh, this started mass demonstrations against them, but they did it twice. So, Iraq depends on Iranian electricity and gas. And it doesn't mean that Iraq cannot become absolutely independent. It should be very easy. They have huge, I won't go into the statistics, but huge gas uh, reserves, huge, not used, almost used very little. I think 10% uh, of what they can do very quickly is maybe 5%, very little. And they get it from Iran. Uh, electricity is the same thing. Uh, in one year, if you spend 10 billion or 15 or maybe 20 billion dollars, and they, and they can do it because they are an oil producing country, uh, the second oil producing country in OPEC, uh, and with all these huge gas reserves, uh, they can do it very quickly. They don't do it uh, mainly for two reasons. A, because uh, their uh, official dump in charge of those issues is just not on a very high level. And second of all, because Iran is not interested. Because Iran, for Iraq, for Iran, Iraq is a milking cow. And so why should Iran support Iraqi uh, energy independence? And they don't. And they're trying to sabotage it when they can. And mostly they can. In order to resolve this problem quickly, Iraq tried to enrich an agreement with Kuwait and with uh, the Emirates, I, I think Bahrain too. The problem is that uh, Iran doesn't like it. So, so far, and there were some basic uh, sense, uh, sort of uh, elementary agreements, uh, basic agreements uh, reached before it was fi finally signed and became, uh, and became um, uh, irreversible, uh, but uh, with Iranian objections, somehow nothing is happening. So they could have done so much both at home and connections to Kuwait and the, the Emirates, and they haven't done it, even though they want to. There is no doubt about that. Um, uh, yes, another huge problem is the structure of employment in Iraq which is connected with the problem of the private sector in Iraq. I'll just give you one or two 
statistics. First of all, 60% of all employees in Iraq today, 60%, six zero, are employed by the government. The government is the, the government budget is crumbling under this huge, the huge pressure of paying government salaries and government pensions. <laughs> if you just remember that a hundred and today it's almost 200,000 militiamen, almost all of them, 95% of them pro-Iranian and anti-Baghdad, enter the government of Iran. Almost 200,000 salaries, fully-fledged salaries, like soldiers in the, in the state military, are being paid to these pro-Iranian militias. Just that, it's like a second army, even larger than the state army. But I'm not talking just about security, I'm talking about, about the, the economy. Every 60% of, 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 of uh, jobs are in government pay. And this has to be changed and the white paper is making it very clear and so on. How do you do it? You cannot just declare uh, mass layoffs. It doesn't work that way. What will those those? I mean, 6.1 or 6.2 million people are employed by the government. And of course, including pensions. So what do you do about it? How, how can you get rid of this horrendous uh, burden on the budget, which is destroying the budget? I don't have a simple answer, but there is, of course, but how do you do it is another question. You have to encourage the private sector, but the private sector is, is, uh, uh, is frozen essentially for, I would say, five or six reasons, maybe, maybe only four. Number one, the Iranian uh, dumping policy, dumping Iranian uh, products, uh, cheap, low quality uh, uh, agricultural and industrial, Sim uh, uh, very simple industrial, very sort of low grade industrial products like heaters in winter, like uh, whatever, like, like medicines, which <laughs> the previous government said, oh, these medicines are produced in Argentina, very bad quality, really no good. And uh, but the, the, funnily enough, uh, uh, on these Argentinian, Argentinian made medicines, it was all written in Farsi. So why should Argentine export Farsi products? No, it was Iran. But the point is that Iran is really uh, imposing a total freeze on both Iraqi agriculture and Iraqi light, let's call it light industry. Well, that's a problem. And again, as I said, for them, Iran, for Iran, Iraq is a milking cow. So why should they give it, why should they give it up? I, had I been in the position, I'd say no way. Number two, there is protection. If you try to establish an, a, a small industrial establishment in Baghdad, immediately 
one or two or three militias will come to you and suggest you to become your protectors. And you know what that means. Uh, then there is a lot of red tape. And then there is the official dump. The official dumps uh, uh, corruption is horrendous. Uh, just to get a permit, you'll need to pay everybody all along the way. Amazing obstacles. So if you if you would like to 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 jumpstart or to defreeze the the private sector, you have to do something about it. Uh, and then remember, the prime minister, the new prime minister, Kadimi, promised, and I think it's very important, to lay very heavy uh, emphasis on um, employment for the young generation, people between the age of 16, 17, and 30 or 25, which really is a problem because about before the corona crisis, 40% of them were unemployed. Today, maybe 70% of them, who knows, I don't, who knows. They are unemployed and, and they, they are lower middle class and, and uh, working class. They were those, they are those, they were those who demonstrated and the militias, mostly the militias, murdered about 600 of them and wounded perhaps 20, 25,000 of them, and many disappeared. So, and they still demonstrated from, uh, from October 2020, uh, all the way to now, except now because of the corona and the repression, though now less, uh, it dwindled. But still, they are the ones who are still a potential source for another eruption, even though it was unarmed. Uh, uh, Kazmi understands it. He really came thanks to them, to, to the position of PM, Prime Minister. So he wants to do it. But look, if he wants to find employment for 2 million extra people, extra 2 million people, which he perhaps will have to do, maybe 3 million, uh, he'll have again to employ them as government uh, employees. What kind of a solution is that? He cannot do it anyway. He doesn't have the budget for that. He hardly has a budget for those who is, who is employing already. So the, the private sector must absorb them, but the private sector is frozen. You have to defreeze it. So I said what you need to do for that. Everything is connected. Huge problem. Um, I will try to sum up. So what should be done? What can be done? First of all, uh, some people say, and I can understand why they're saying it, I mean, it's, it's, it's one solution, to get rid of uh, Kazemi, because Kazemi is walking a tightrope a bit, uh, it's a tightrope walk between America and Iran, or America, the Gulf states, and Iran on the other side, on the other hand. He is as pro-Iranian as he's pro-American and pro-Saudi and pro-Emirates uh, and so on, because he has no other way of running the country. You might say, some people might say, I know why they say it and I cannot I mean, I, I disagree, but I understand where they come from, which makes sense. That because he is not dealing a death blow to the militias and resuscitating the Iraqi economy very quickly and getting cl very close to the 
Gulf states and Arab Gulf states and so on. He is like, he's shielding the Iranian interests in Iraq. And he's helping this kind of, of, of uh, stasis, 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 whatever, freeze. And the, the disaster, the economic disaster in Iraq is, is, is on, even though this country is a very rich oil producing country, but this all goes to nowhere. All this money is disappearing, sinking into the sand, disappearing forever. So they say, let's get rid of him. And if instead of him, you'll have another prime minister uh, who is very pro-Iranian, we're going to hit him on the head. Well, that's one possibility. I see different, differently. I would say, let's give him a chance. And I'll say something very clear. I believe that he is wrong. The prime minister of Iraq, Al-Khazimi, is wrong in assuming and I'm saying it based on internal information, that he has 10 years to do the job because he does not have 10 years. In 10 years, he'll do A, B, C, and D. Militias will be, the militias have to go somewhere to it. They have to be employed somehow. So if you don't have any employment for, for them other than government employment, what can you do? You cannot just lay them off because they'll march on Baghdad and they are, perhaps 150,000 fighters. 50,000 are ghosts. They get salaries, but are not there. They are home all the time with their wives and children, and I wish them good luck. But 150,000 are still there, and they are fighters. And the army is roughly the same size, but the army has no capability of fighting. This is not a good army, it's a bad army. There's only one unit in the military the anti-terrorist division, between nine and 10,000 people who can fight. They can fight and they did fight and they proved themselves and they have a wonderful commander and everything is perfect. But if you want to use these guys against 150,000 people who fight less well, but are very well equipped and so on, it's a, you take a risk, a big risk. Uh, and the prime minister is not ready to do it. So he thinks about 10 years that he'll find jobs for the, uh, for the militias. Some of them will join the military, state military, others will go home and just get a job, a reasonably paying job, and, and things will be just fine. Well, that's maybe happening, that may be happening in 10 years, maybe even seven years, but I don't think he has that time. So that's where I disagree with him. I think he is mistaken. He'll have to do a much better job, much faster. However, I, I would suggest not to try and, and get rid of him. And you can get rid of him very easily. You don't need to do anything. And I don't think America will do anything if they decide to get rid of him. They just no longer get, they stop supporting him. This is all. Just no longer political support, withdrawing the American and NATO forces from Iraq. All of them, all the 2,500, maybe there'll be 4,000 4, soon. But, withdrawing them back to, to America, uh, saying, thank you very much. Uh, we don't, are not interested, do what you like. If you want to turn Iraq into an independent country, great. If you want to make it a, a satellite of the Iranians and a milking cow continue to become, to be a milking cow, be our guest and just leave. That you're entitled to, America is entitled to do it. Well, I would <laughs> try to say no. 
that's not a good idea, support him, but encourage him also to do certain things. Let's start with number one. You, elections are, the election campaign is, the election day is sometime in late October, this time October. Help him and the demonstrators and the demonstrators, though who demonstrated against Iran and against the government corruption. Remember what they were demonstrating against? Help them to run a very smooth, very good, very effective elections campaign. Now is the time. If you don't do it now, forget about Iraq, because if they lose the elections, and if Al-Kazemi is not getting any support in parliament, he doesn't have a party of his own but he relies on them and others to support him. He has some support, but most of the, of the parliament is not pro kazemi They voted for, for him because they had no choice. The alternative was total chaos, but, but they, don't, they don't support him really. They are pro-Iranian most, not all, of course, the parliament. But the demonstrators must have a very, very heavy support in parliament, in the next parliament. If you don't do it, the Iranians are doing it. The Iranians did it in every elections campaign in Iraq. And they won and won and won and won. So you have to help the guy, help the demonstrators. Can America do it? Of course America can do it. I don't need to give you advice how to do it, but that's very important in every way that you can. Democratic elections, why not? then you have to push the United Nations to supervise the actual elections day. Because last time, only 41% of the voters turned up to vote because they knew the whole thing was completely corrupt and sold out. And even those who voted were, everything was completely false. So, because there was no proper supervision. So there has to be proper supervision. Supervision. That's number two. Uh, number three. Push him as hard as you can and push the Emirates and Saudi Arabia as hard as you can to overcome Iranian counter pressures and to cooperate. There is some success. I forgot I could have another success. There is a beginning of commercial uh, relations with. Uh, with Saudi Arabia, but it doesn't get very far, but there is already a border, a border post, huge, new, which the Saudis paid for uh, to start and, and exchange commerce, uh, trade, uh, mutual trade. Uh, and there is something with Oman, something with Bahrain, something with the UAE. It's only a very early beginning, but that's the way to do it. It has to expand and try to help Iraq get Gulf electricity to reduce the huge dependence, 42% on uh, Iranian electricity, and to develop the gas industry, to use the gas which they have in Kurdistan, they have a huge, also a huge reservoir of gas that Kurds will be delighted to sell or send whatever uh, to Iraq, but you have to do that. Then uh, to continue the struggle against corruption, uh, about the militias, I don't know what to say because a frontal confrontation is extremely dangerous. 
I am, I don't know what to say, but it's a problem. It's a, the last attack was only a few days ago. 10 days ago, there was an attack again on an American force in an Iraqi base. Uh, and uh, finally, I would say, I agree, this is not easy for the Biden administration, but I just say that if and when, the, and it will happen, I think, the militias will attack again American soldiers, as they did 10 days ago, after you retaliated, they retaliated again. If there will be no response at all, then I was a soldier. And I can tell you, if my government is not protecting me, is not enabling me to protect myself, then I don't want to be a soldier. So either you, you allow yourself to retaliate to protect your soldiers by ground to air missile, uh, ground to missile, missile, anti-missile missile, whatever, but also to retaliate. If you don't retaliate, then American, American soldiers' lives are cheap. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So we have just a very short amount of time for questions. My apologies on that. But uh, what's the future of Iraq? What's the prognosis? Is this a perpetual battleground or a growing secure middle class, do you think? I think that if uh, the prime minister, with his present uh, commitment, and there is a commitment, the white paper that came out last October is, represents a commitment. If he is helped by the Arab Gulf states, by America, by Europe, uh, in the right places, yes, there is hope because don't forget, Iraq also in the good days, good, in the old good old days, and talk about 2006, 2007, Iraq made $100 billion every year just on oil revenues. Now it's less because oil prices are down, but still the government has this thing, which Lebanon doesn't have, which Assad in Syria doesn't have, which Israel doesn't have. And with that, and with the European American political and, and, and uh, economic support, uh, investments and so on, World Bank, uh, international fund and so on. Yes, uh, he can turn around the economy and give a huge boost to private uh, uh, entrepreneurs. And that's what Iraq needs now most, more than anything else. Wonderful, thank you. And what would Iran's likely reaction be were Iraq to cultivate closer relations with Gulf states and Israel? Israel, no. I'll tell you something. If I were Kazemi, <laughs> the last thing I would do, I would like now is to start a huge controversy over relations with Israel. This is too risky. He can do it, he can do he can do business with Israel very easily through the Emirates, through Bahrain, but, but not directly. But he, it's not necessary. Direct relations, I'd love to see it, uh, but I'd love to see the first ambassador. But, but, but this is something which cannot happen now. But, but with the Arab Gulf states, absolutely. Egypt relations are very good. Jordan relations are excellent. So to develop these relations, he already has potentially waiting for him just to do it. The Iranians will do everything they can to stop it. Absolutely everything they can. 
Can they assassinate him? Yes, they can. But it won't be easy, and I'll tell you why. Because he's a very good domestic security officer. He was the head of the domestic security system in Iraq before he became prime minister. So I would say it would be much more difficult than assassinating previous prime ministers, but Iran didn't even try that. So ultimately, the modest achievements made by Al-Khadhimi is working, you think? Yes, it can work, but again, not in 10 years, not in seven. It has to work very quickly. And again, if America and Europe help the right people in Iraq in the next, I cannot stress it sufficiently enough, in the next electoral campaign, October is the election day. Between today, we have five, six months. This can be of huge benefit because if he has a, pro, a supportive parliament, a, a supportive majority in parliament, he will be able to do everything, not in seven or 10 years, but in three or four years or in two or three years, which will be huge. The options are there, but he needs support. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Amatia, for joining us today. My pleasure, Stacey. Thank you very much. For our viewers and for our listeners, please join us Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern for an update with Ashley Perry. Please, again, note the time change a half hour later. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.